Hey, I'm Fuzz. I'm Joel. Welcome to Fags and Fendi. And we're here to talk about life, relationships, and what it is to be a queer person of color in Australia. He said it all. Welcome to our very first episode. Isn't this exciting? We've been talking about this for months. I know. For months, bitch. It took you <laughs> ages to get here. Cheers to champagne again. Of course we just are. for the video. Cheers. Now what? <laughs> mm. So so what are we about? Um, well, we are basically oh. about being fags. I just, <laughs> I just had a fucking ice block, I swear, already. <laughs> it didn't take long. Um, so what is this about? So essentially, we're here to talk about us and our experiences as queer people of color living in the gorgeous city of Sydney and mm-hmm. what it means to be in relationships, to have friendships, to be alive and to be active and I mean, we've been talking about this space. for a while now. Like we've been, what, I think it's... Two months? Probably more. And I think it's based on experiences that we've had as a particular people that we are. Yeah. I'm like, this is too much eye contact. <laughs> <laughs> I have never even looked at my dates like this. Oh, never. God. You know what, though? <laughs> Neither. Well, I have one partner. I, mean, I didn't even look at him like that. <laughs> exactly. Anyway. I think that... Actually, um, I've been looking at Nick Nelson, which we will discuss after this. That is... <laughs> on screen. <laughs> I think that... um. We felt that it was necessary to to start to have these conversations because a lot of the time people don't know what it's like to be us. And yeah. if you're out there and if you're listening and if you feel like you are us, if you are a queer person of color and if you are finding your way in the world and dealing with all your trauma, yeah. then, you know, the session's open, darling. Come and join and us. And we saw that we saw a gap. Like, you know, we, we are at a different stage in our lives now where mm. we're 30 some I'm 28 us, in spirit. Some of us touching 35. I'm, I'm 28 younger. <laughs> and uh, we just want to like lend our voice now for the younger generation as well. Mm. Gen Z, I can't believe we are a different generation. Now. I know, I can't believe that. Like, <laughs> I remember millennials were the shit. And like, now all of a sudden it's like, oh, Saws, you're being thrown out with the trash. <laughs> Do you know when we hang out with the Gen Z and they remind us that they're 21? Yeah, or like whenever they say things like, I was born in 2003. Yeah, <laughs> like, I'm sorry. <laughs> Who are you? Yeah, so it's kind of like we, we're in a good time and place in kind of like the world today where diversity is at the forefront. Um, but having said that, there's so much more to be done. And these conversations are very important. Being and it's always a question on diversity. Like, is diversity a trend or is it something that's real and something that's going to stick around? And we're hoping that by having these conversations, that the cause of diversity will stick around. And we're talking about like real diversity, not yeah. take the box diversity. No, 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 and no. I think that's why this podcast is so important is we want to debunk a lot of the notions about diversity as well. And when people try to do diversity because he's just trying to tick the box. And um, I mean, we, we're living, breathing colored people. So being entrepreneurs, being colored, being queer. I mean, we tick all the boxes <laughs> <laughs> for minority. <laughs> yeah. So. It's interesting, though, you know, the idea of a minority and what that looks like. And I think that that's kind of what we want to discuss in this, our first episode, is what it means to be queer in the world in 2022. From and our What did you very aptly title the first episode? Gay. <laughs> <laughs> very catchy. What does it mean to be gay? But more broadly, what does it mean to be queer? So I was watching this show. Yeah. And you know, 
know that I've been talking about this show over and over and over again, but who has been watching Hot Stoppers? <laughs> I'm sure there's a lot of listeners out there going, me too. But I, mean, I have been, we've been discussing this for the last two weeks. I mean, like ever since I watched that. It feels first, like more because you bring it up every fucking five minutes. But that's because, bitch, like I have literally been watching it on repeat because there's something about it where I was like, okay, there's something, this is like a cultural moment, you know? Like you have other shows out there, things like Euphoria, for example. When we were growing up, we had examples like, for you know, Will and Grace or whatever. But this is the first time that a queer relationship has been explored in a way that's just so innocent and yeah. so you know, normal. Of course, I mean, like, you know, they're, they're going through what they're going through, the character of Charlie. If you haven't watched Heartstoppers, you need to before you, <laughs> you listen to the rest of it. The character of Charlie, for example, has you just know, had a coming out experience. Heartstopper so much, he should be signed on as an ambassador. So I mean, like, listening. you know, y'all, if y'all are listening to me, all I'm saying is that, can I be in the next season? <laughs> and you I'll should, honestly, when, so we Googled, we had dinner last night talking about the same shit, <laughs> and he Googled season two and when it's filming, so this is a... I, look, I'm yeah. really upset about this because to be honest, it is pride month as this is being filmed and there should have been a season two and that is homophobia and a hate crime I can't believe that this is where we are now in this world where Netflix won't release a season two so we probably won't announce it so we don't break your heart because it broke his heart and God, I needed to. Hold I will his tell hand you, that. it's out in 2023, people. Yes. That's when the next Heartstopper season is coming out. But I think that, like, um, I was, so I was telling you before, so I was reading this article about, you know, why so. As a backstory, both of us were very deeply touched by this, weren't we? Yes. Tell me about your experience with Heartstoppers. Because <laughs> so that we can go into yours and you're going to cry after this. <laughs> <laughs> Don't you still I, cry um, for that yeah, last episode? There I we go. do think that it's come like at a, it's coming at the right time. It's just funny how we were going to record this first episode and then this series takes over and... I think I was I was flying back from Perth and I mentioned that I was watching it on the plane without realizing that it was already gaining tractions for all the reasons that it was. So I watched it on the plane and then I flew back and then I just mentioned to you, did you watch this? And you're like, I'm already halfway through without realizing that, you know, the impact and what it was going to do. And oh boy, was it an impact. Like when I was watching it on the plane, I was tearing a lot, the flight flight attendant was like, are you all right? <laughs> <laughs> so, and then I came back and watched it again. And then you watched it. And then we were nonstop Instagram messaging, different screenshots and moments. And we were kind of like, I guess, trying to figure out kind of why was it so impactful for us? But I think we've both kind of like, We've watched, how many times have you watched it? Let's be honest. Like, I mean, like, in all honesty, I'm currently watching it for the fourth time. Um, I've reached six. So it's like, because <laughs> like a real long movie, you know, but it's yes. a movie you can watch over and over again. And to be quite honest, it's one of the most beautiful things that I've seen in a long time. And I think the reason for that is because very often, and this is part of the experience of being queer people, um, is that we spend a lot of our adult lives unpacking and unlearning a lot of our experiences from our childhood. So there's a lot that we don't get to do. And I've shared this before, and I shared with my mother actually, where I said, sometimes I feel like at the tender age of 35, <laughs> that uh, <laughs> that I'm a certain you didn't part, say 28. <laughs> 28 in spirit, um, I feel that a piece of my life or a part of my life has been taken away from me involuntarily. And you can sort of like spend time feeling like you'll never get that back. You'll never get those years back. You'll never get those potential experiences back because 
you know, we weren't allowed to exist as we were um, as as children because it was, you know, to be queer is, is to be at odds with the world, to be different to the world. And so when you're different, what does the world do? It tells you, stop it. <laughs> be like, be normal, be like whatever normal looks like. And I think sometimes we sort of live in this fallacy now that, oh, you know, we live in sort of this post-homophobic world, but we don't. We live in a in a deeply queerphobic world. And I think that because there's so much more diversity now, even within the community, um, with different gender identities, also different sexual orientations and the way that we relate to each other as human beings, that you know, queer phobia is actually growing because there's even more difference that people who are not queer have to deal with. I think it's important, like, because as we we joke about watching it again and again, but what's really funny is that even at my sixth go, <laughs> I know sixth, even at my sixth go, you kind of like relate to different scenes every single time. And it's funny because we've been messaging like on day one, you know, I, I sent you one screenshot and like, this is the one that really touched me. And then on scene two, I'm like completely new and this is the one that's touched me so for me i was kind of i've really related with the character charlie because i've had that experience growing up of being really kind of like really fearful growing up and i grew i was born in malaysia and i grew up in a very kind of like uh, muslim society in um, kuala lumpur but i'm a um, i'm from an indian malaysian background sorry indian malaysian doesn't make sense indian and catholic and a very strict household, um, raised with so much love, but being the idea of being queer is not evident. I don't see it anywhere. I don't see it around in my family. Um, there's no representation, and we've spoken about this many times, the idea of representation. If you can see it and you can visualize it, then you kind of know, you know, this is where I can head or this is how I can act. So I think I've told you many times, like being gay for me was kind of like an idea of, Oh shit! You know I'm sin. I'm I'm sinning. I'm sinful. Um, I'm so different. And why am I feeling like this? You know, we grow up with so much of fear from a very young age. When all I should be doing is enjoying my childhood and enjoying my life and going to school and enjoying, you know, making friends and relating to others. And so for me, it was kind of like I get to school and I'm so fearful of because I hadn't come out. I didn't know what. I don't even know what come out was. I didn't even know the idea of that. Um, kind of like everything I've had to kind of like Google and teach and and learn myself. And um, it was very interesting. So even with Charlie, it was so nice to see Charlie being very open. But the fact that he's getting bullied for being open is something that, you know, a lot of us relate to. Being different and trying to have this conflict in our own head. And then here you have all these people kind of like making fun of you. And you just, and very often you're kind of like driven to take actions like suicide and and depression. And, and you know, these kind of things are, are not, it's it's very common in our society, depression, suicide, because we're so busy kind of like trying to figure ourselves out. We're getting batted from everyone else outside. So really the only ones that make it through are the ones that kind of like see a light and then kind of like take a turn around the corner. So for me, the character Charlie seeing how being open, well, having said that, he didn't come out. He it was kind of found out. Mm-hmm which also is an experience a lot of our gay listeners can kind of queer listeners can kind of relate to is very often you're kind of like, it suddenly comes out when you're not even ready to come out. So 
somebody takes that power away from yes. you. Yes. And even in that, you're kind of like you're not ready and all of a sudden you're outed and and then you're not ready for the storm that comes. And he's very interesting the character Tara said that. Make sure you're very ready to come out. Don't do it before you're ready. She tells Nick that. Because she actually says to him in that moment that spoiler alert, she says, you know, it's not always things I think we're change give a lot and of not always which is <laughs> yes. it's not always for the best. But you yes. know similar similarly, I I am of Fijian descent. I'm Indo-Fijian. Um, and I come from a society and I grew up in a society my entire life that had sort of these very hyper masculine ideals. So basically, you know, what was celebrated as a Fijian man was somebody who was <clears throat> was celebrated as a Fijian man was somebody who was tough and somebody who was masculine and who had, you know, uh, a female by their side. And, you know, very, and it's also sort of, you know, very much res- rooted in misogyny as well. But I think that what that does to a person is that it makes you feel like there is no known expression for you if you don't fit in to sort True. of this box that tells you that this is what you need to look like and this is who you need to date and this is what you need to do. There's no format. And so like, you know, it 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 just kind of fucks you up a little bit because you're you're kind of getting... You, you, you're growing up in this society, you're growing up in these communities. And to be quite fair, as, um, as, as you have said also broadly in our communities, we don't, not to be fair, to be honest, in our, in our communities, in, in communities of comprised of people of color, mental health is not something that we talk about, yeah. nor is it something, I mean, now our generation, the millennial generation is attempting to We're sort of make changes. It, yeah. We're getting better, but... You know, we still grow up with these these notions that our oh, mental health means that you you are severely mentally ill rather than I'm I'm depressed. I have anxiety. I need help. I need to talk to somebody because we aren't told that we can talk about things. And that's another part of our repression as as queer people. It's like another layer of basically shit that yeah. gets piled I on top of shit. I remember when I first kind of like started the conversation with my parents about coming out and explaining to them and they're like why didn't you tell us this before and i was like but it was not it was not environment or i didn't feel like i could share these things even though my parents i love my parents we share everything and kind of like hindsight looking back where i am now i'm like okay yes i could have had a conversation but having said that being in that environment in malaysia it was not it was no, not made to be like you can discuss these things the moment i i mean it's not even just about me being gay the whole cultural aspect in malaysia of being gay meant it was a westernized idea in malaysia we looked at it as like oh look at all these people overseas and look at them look at you know they're kind of like going against the grain for them it was kind of like going against the grain and it was a westernized culture thing and if there were anyone in um within the culture to come out i've heard of back then to come out it would have been oh he's very influenced overseas or he would have moved overseas and come back and he's adopted some of those things the irony of that though is how increasingly in the west like in particular when you look at america and there's such like a major push of Americanization around the world right now. You know, so much of popular culture from America influences the way that we operate and live and breathe and have our being. Um, And you have things like don't say gay, you know, new bills being announced in America that are basically policing queer people and queer children in a way that will actually create a new generation of incredibly traumatized people as we have been. Yeah, Because I think that that's the thing that we don't talk about often enough is that as 
queer people and as queer people of color, we experience a shit ton of trauma. And this is on top of the trauma that we already face based on the fact that we are decolonizing people. And so we've got this, we've got these sort of like different layers of things that we got to deal with. So when it comes to watching something now in 2022 yeah. portrayed on television, well, through a streaming I mean, how like much Netflix. do we wish that we could have watched this show when we were growing up? Well, this is the thing that, that was I was reading game. recently in a Vulture article, and I thought that it was actually quite powerful. It makes, makes sense to me now why I want to watch it so many times. <laughs> it's Apart from the many other reasons you already had, I, what is this reason? No, but you know, I actually had to try and figure out why, because I was like, there's something wrong with me. I was like, this is not normal. Um but I, but I, I read something um, towards the end of this Vulture article where it said that essentially, well, the beginning of the article is that there's a form of nostalgia. And so initially when I read that, I was like, what do you mean nostalgia? Because how can you be nostalgic for something that you've never had? But that's the point. When you watch this young couple on television, this young queer couple on television, one being bisexual, one being gay, um, and then the various other characters around... Um, you feel nostalgic for something that you have never had. It's almost like phantom limb syndrome, you know? Like, it's like you felt like, you feel like something is there, but it's not. Or you feel like it's an experience that you had, but you didn't. And it's because it's something that we yearn for as queer people. We yearn for the idea of normalcy or to be treated as full human beings and not as half human beings. Um, and to be treated as people who can have beautiful romantic you know silly things that happen in high school and but we don't get that because there is an inherent danger associated I mean, that with made that. me straight away think about like even um the idea of going for a school ball it mm. should be very very exciting it should be like you know i'm going out with this person oh, and yeah, i'm yeah. getting ready but even for us we're like oh shit like you know, I might, I can't be open. I can't go with the person that I want to. I remember every ball that I ever went to when I was in high school was basically like... Was this like a school ball or was it like a ball? <laughs> I wish it was a ball. But we had no balls in the third world. Um, but we... Um, I remember going with my friends. The champagne's getting me in the mood. <laughs> I remember going as like... I remember going with friends because that was the most comfortable and the safest way to go. Because we couldn't go like, you know, you could not go with a same-sex date. Like that wasn't going to happen. And I think um, that in a way, the more we see ourselves as children represented in the media, excuse me, the more we see ourselves represented as children in the media, it's somewhat healing. It's like a bomb. It's like you have a you have a wound and you you carry an open wound with you all your life. And then the more you sort of engage with the possibility of what could have been, you go one of two ways. Either it's incredibly depressing and you just weep for days. And I did weep the first time I watched. I'm not gonna lie, bitch. Not the first time only. <laughs> I still and actually, cry. Can you tell I us, you have told me before that you have dry duct syndrome. <laughs> tell us what that is. No, it's just like, <laughs> I don't have enough tears in my eyes. So, so I can't how did wear you contacts. manage to conjure it all up? For something, about Heartstopper, <laughs> something about this show, Heartstopper, it did something, suddenly I had tears, but you know what, they never dropped. I you just like, season just two like, has a lot of pressure. <laughs> season two has a lot of pressure. But literally when I watch, I just like, my, my vision becomes blurry because the water like lifts up. And I'm like, no, no, stop, stop. Are you crying? Like Are you that. crying because of the show? Are you crying because I'm like, oh my God, this is what crying feels like. <laughs> <laughs> Probably a little bit yeah, of both. Exactly. Um, but yeah, I think that essentially it's um it's it's the heart of 
what it means to be queer in the world today. And I think that what what many people need to understand is that in a world where we tell ourselves, oh, it's fine now. Of course it's fine. There's so many queer people. Everyone's gay. That's not true. It's, it's not the truth at all. And in particular for queer people of color, we have a, we have a particular set of difficulties to overcome in order to become our most authentic selves. It's a reality. Most people of color listening to this right now who are queer in any way or who are questioning in any way, if you have thought about speaking to your parents, have you not completely held back? Not just because of your parents, but because of your aunties and your uncles and your cousins and everybody else in the community. And it's also just broadly the community because who are we as migrants in Australia? We are people of communities. So it's like, oh, well, what will it look like to all the other Fijians? Or what will it look like to all the other Malaysians? What will it look like to all the people in in Liverpool or all the people in Kasulo and Bangsa, whatever? Like all these things, it's like we carry not just the pressure of our own identity, we carry the pressure of everybody's identity. And it's unfair. But it's a reality that we have to deal with and it's this unlearning that needs to happen. And that's why these sorts of shows are important. But I also think what you said is very important is to be gay today, like it just means that we have to be brave on the daily. And we continue to be brave every day because we are different. Yeah, We walk the streets knowing, even if we walk like on the way here, we know we'll get two or three stairs. And it's about kind of like, being so, it's it's actually kind of sad to say that you be, you have to become so desensitized yeah. to all this that the bravery kicks in because of the desensitization. And it's just really funny that that's how we have to live today. However, it's also, I find a lot of joy in it now in being very different. I mean, once to be straight and boring. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> Sorry to the straight listeners. But it's, um, there's a joy in being different and being proud of being different. And I think Heartstopper in particular has just made me, every time I watch it, I've just come out really happy to see how much we have progressed from the time that we were children, um, how much more there is to be done. But it's just a lot of joy. I really leave kind of like the tears are, it's nostalgic, it's a little bit sad, but a lot of happiness yeah. of kind of like how far we've come, the conversations we're having today. I mean, the fact that we've even started this podcast, it yeah. takes a lot of bravery, but at the same time, it's so nice to be having these conversations just to let everyone know kind of like what are our daily experiences. Mm -hmm. The moment we wake up from bed, we get dressed up and we go out, it's, we, we have to have that shield. I think I told you this story about, um, us just getting our nails done and yeah. I was getting my nails done. Remember I told you in North Sydney station, I was just standing, um, this shout out to nails Avenue, <laughs> North Sydney. I want sponsorship, so, um, getting my nails done and the, the, um, crowd walking through men and women and non-binary, everyone walking through, they had to give me two looks. They had to look at me. And then when they were going back, they realized that, oh, shit, there's a guy getting his nails done. So they turn and look again. And I was just like, oh, fuck you. So for me, it was kind of like, again, just that small little yeah. thing. I had to be desensitized, but I also have to be brave. You know, I have to just not let that affect me. It doesn't affect me. But it was just an interesting insight to kind of like your daily of to be different, you just have to be brave. But you know, in, in terms of bravery, it's interesting to kind of pick up on that because I've thought about this because I, 
I particularly pride myself on being as unapologetically queer as possible because I think that it's important, not just for me, but for the people who are coming after me and young people. But I'll tell you something for free. The thing that I am most terrified of in the entire world, <laughs> actually, is if I am walking by myself down the street, in particular, yeah. you know, at nighttime, anywhere in the world, even right here in Sydney, in the center of Sydney. And if I see a group of cisgendered, heterosexual white males who are slightly intoxicated walking towards me, yeah. I freak the fuck out because I have no idea what their response to me will be like. And I'm always ready for a fight. I'm always ready for a fight. I have been confronted multiple times by that particular demographic of entitled cisgendered heterosexual white male. And I feel like that's the reality that a lot of people don't want to hear. They don't want to hear about the fact that it's scary for us. It's yes. not safe on the streets for us. Like, yep. okay, like they say, oh, you know, maybe it's just words. Like, bitch, do you know how many words you have to hear all your life? Yep. You know, all the words that we take oh, back even now. the attacks in Mardi Gras. I mean, oh, like, that is the post Mardi Gras. Everyone is all like, ooh, hi, yay, like, let's dress up and let's get ready. Yeah. And then post Mardi Gras, then you hear the bashing and the yeah. um, name calling in the background. It's just like the level of queerphobia is absolutely shocking to me. And that's why we take back words like faggot, for example, because <laughs> these are the words that you hear. Yeah. Growing up, you yes. know, these are the words that people that you hear, you know, even if people don't know that you're queer, but they say it around you to other people. Well, oh, that, that person's a fag. Yes. And it's like, oh, that's, you know, this terrible thing. It's like when we were growing up, I remember there was an expression where they said, oh, that's so gay in, you know, to, to denote that something was, you know, unappealing or disgusting or boring or whatever. Yeah. And it's just like, okay, so all of these things about a portion of our identity, which is quite significant in terms of what it makes us for most of our lives and even now is used to, you know, just denigrate us and make us feel like we're, we're nothing. And I think that that's important to note is that we come from, and I was saying this to a friend of mine recently, but we should be very proud to be queer people, particularly queer people of color, mm. because we come from a very, very proud line and heritage of people and from a culture, because we have our own culture yeah. of people who have had to be brave yes. and who have had had to stand on the front lines to liberate us and to liberate themselves. I think it's very interesting you said that because um, I was having my moment with Pose, remember? Oh, very remember late. You. I can't believe it. <laughs> I told you about Pose ages ago. Like Pose is done and like, I just like, I can't believe it. I mean, it's such a good show, but I was like- just getting onto it. Like, I just don't get it. Two years later. <laughs> oh my God. And I was also getting into Paris and Bur Paris is burning. Yes. Last year. Paris is burning. Yeah. yeah. No, yesterday. Yes, yesterday. So Joel watched Paris is Burning for the very first time. If y'all haven't I'm watched it, sure go watch it. It's on YouTube. That haven't watched it. I think everybody's watched it. Everybody should. Paris is Burning is a part of it. It is a cultural document of a mm. time. I think what I took from that, with Pose included, obviously Pose derived a lot of its kind of inspiration and the stories and the true stories from Paris is Burning. And um, that was the first show, I think, bef even before Heartstopper. Heartstopper is a beautiful love story um, and, you know, all about childhood and coming out. That was beautiful. But Pose really was the one that moved me so much to the point. Well, I cried a lot of times with that one because it was very interesting to delve into the history of the queer culture 
let alone our Indian culture and your Fijian culture, um, the queer culture, to see kind of like what our, like the people have been through and where we are now to kind of, you know, acknowledge their journey for them, obviously for what they have been through and the things that they've done, they've paved the way for us and where we sit today. But it was just very, very eye-opening when I watched the first season, first episode straight away. Um, you know, I need to rewatch the show again because I need to be reminded of many of the scenes. But there were some really standout moments and the overall arching idea of, you know, the HIV um, pandemic. Yes, that's the word. <laughs> <laughs> I'm so sick of that word now. Um, going around and, you know, the fact that you have your group of friends and you're kind of like the the third class of minority of not even third class it's just a minority like the the scrap of scraps because you're colored you're queer and um the way people were being treated was they wanted you eliminated when yeah. you had hiv they wanted you to get hiv so that you didn't infect the whole population with your queer idea of being colored and queer and it was just such a it was such an eye opener to see to realize you know I was telling you yesterday as well we we're having dinner and we we're with a group of friends and to then realize you know you might not be here tomorrow mm. because you have AIDS your other friend might have been killed because they're working the streets and they get attacked and it's such an interesting time and it's so sad to realize that that's what has happened and that's what they had to go through for us to reach here. But yes, yeah, it's, it's acknowledging that history and it was very, very important. And I um, encourage you to go and watch all these um, episodes of Pose and watch Paris is Burning just to realize where we've, you know, the people that have walked the path and mm. kind of like, you know, enabled us to now be here. So I think so. I mean, like, you know, in 1987, which is, you know, when Paris is Burning was filmed in particular, there would have been, I mean, of course, there were no podcasts, but there would have been no notion even that queer people could have their voices heard and that people would want to listen. Because you're quite right. I think that I think that a lot of that, though, kind of seeps into 2022 as well. In that I, I kind of, I, I take it quite seriously in, um, in that I know that the reality was that when the AIDS pandemic when the AIDS pandemic blew up and when it appeared like, you know, they used to call it the gay cancer. Yeah. So when it appeared like it was mostly poor, disenfranchised, queer people of color, because if you were queer, well, if you're a person of color, it was hard to get a job. If you were queer, even worse. Yeah. If you're openly sort of, you know, if you were, if you're clocked. Um, so the preference from society was that it's better if they die. That that was that was the that was the sentiment. It's better if they die. And there was even the treatment of all the patients in the hospital. Absolutely, we see it absolutely. live in the shows. Until we started to see other people, in particular white heterosexual people of wealth who had started to um who who caught the who caught the virus at the time, then we saw a lot more sort of progress in terms of study and research. And we still see now HIV AIDS. There's a lot of research. And of course, you know, a lot of people live um, very happy and healthy lives now being HIV positive and the stigma around it has completely dissipated. Well, not completely, but we're sort of getting to a stage where it is yeah. dissipating. But the reality is this, is that there is still a portion of society which is not that small that would prefer that queer people of color did not exist. And the sad thing is in terms of the intersectionalities, sometimes, and I think that it's important for us to acknowledge, White queer people 
are not aware of the fact that the treatment of of queer people of color is quite different. And that we're very often not welcome in spaces because we are different. Yeah. And I think you said that important word there is very often um, white people don't realize. And that was very important because I remember I mentioned that I had a client in my store, Mr. Fears, and he's one of my regulars. Um, and he mentioned because we had a little bit of an incident in our store and it was about racism. And he, there was a, a guy who walked in and he was very racist towards one of my staff members who was of Asian descent. And um, the, I, I wrote up a whole article which you helped me with. You, we wrote up an Instagram post and we wrote up a newsletter just to kind of take that opportunity to educate a lot of the uh, my clientele and kind of like take our stand against racism and kind of say where we were at and what happened. Very um, short version of it was this guy was very huffy and puffy and and it, in the whole anger of being kind of like... Um, which stemmed just from a simple um, card error incident turned into a whole, you know, slurring of words of racist words to my Asian stuff. And I kind of like just used the opportunity to take a stand. But when I was talking about it to my regular clients who came in, they all had read the newsletter. Mm -hmm. And this one in particular had, you know, marched in and told me kind of like, you know, asking me about the incident. And I said this words, as you would know, you know, we we go through this and he said something very important. He said, no, I don't know. Yeah. And he is of Caucasian descent from Australia. And and that kind of like jolted me to realize, no, you yes, you don't know what you don't know. Mm -hmm. And that's why these sort of conversations are very important, because even for kind of like Caucasian descent, you kind of like if you don't have these conversations at home or even outside, you will never know. Yeah. And that's why it's very important. Like when I was talking to him, I kind of like just casually said, yeah, this is what we go through. We kind of like, you know, did you know Mark? His name was Mark. Did you know, Mark, when I walk out, the, when I go into a room full of Caucasians, even in a restaurant, I said, I just feel some kind of way. I always feel just that little bit more, kind of like taken back that I need a little bit more bravery. Um, even in my workplaces where I used to work, there's always um, Caucasian field. And I'm always the only colored person, but they don't realize for me to come to work every day, I kind of need to hype myself up and be that little bit braver because I am the only person of color, let alone being queer, but a person of color, which is also, you know, what I represent. And it was very interesting because I explained and I told him, this is what I go through. This is what I um, live every day. And he was very open to listen to it. And it was very important because very often we find people are very quick to jump on even kind of like the Caucasian descent and, you know, people who don't get racism. A lot of people want to know our stories as well. And it is our job to kind of educate and be very open to discussing and creating conversations. And I think that's why this podcast was important. We want to create conversations. We don't want to jump on people's throat and say, you know, what you're thinking is wrong, what you're thinking is wrong. We know we have a lot of friends like that who jump on our throats too. <laughs> so <laughs> I think what's important is, I think it's one of those things where like, I, I generally agree. I, I'm of the opinion that it's not our job necessarily to educate, but it's certainly our job to have a conversation. If somebody comes to you as a person of color with a genuine question, not a stupid microaggression, yes. like, oh, you speak such good English. Why? Like, that's very annoying. Anybody does that to me, I have to pull out their hair. But that one I, you can just punch. I it's can't fine. stand that. But like, 
if somebody comes to me and is, is like, I, I want to know your experience. I want to know what you go through. Please tell me so that I know. I'd be like, Do you know what? I respect that. So, you know, if y'all are listening out there, we are coming to the end of our time. But look at your friend's circle. Look at your friend's circle. Do you have queer friends? Do you have friends who are people of color? Is everybody around you exactly the same? Because if they are you probably need to expand your horizons a little bit because you will never know us unless yeah. you have one of us in your circle. So but what I think is, as you're ending that note, I think why we created this conversation, why we created this podcast, both of us, to come back to wrap it all up, is we met through a mutual friend. Um, when did we meet? like a year ago a year ago a year ago now and what was really what really stood out is the fact that we always managed to have deep conversations even in a loud table and we're drinking we're having fun we always managed to pick out topics and really delve into various topics and have serious conversations even in the fun of it and i think that's what really sparked us to kind of like be the ones to come together to create this conversation and i think that kind of sums up Fags and Fendi and why we're the ones doing it together. 100%. And we are inviting y'all to come and join us at our table. Be a part of our conversation. Thank you for tuning in to the first episode of Fags and Fendi. We love that you joined us at our table today. We've had such a good time recording this podcast, the first episode. And we hope that you join us for the next few because there's so much more coming up. 